Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Money Talk. I'm Neil Chrysell and Diane Duver and I are your hosts. Every week we're right here on AM1290, FM96.9 and streaming at AM1290KZSB.com. We're repeated at 11 and on Saturdays at 6. We're brought to you by American Riviera Bank, smart banking for smart people in Santa Barbara at Figueroa and Anacapa Streets and at Montecito's Upper Village. And Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm in Santa Barbara, providing its clients with the personal care and attention of a small independent firm, coupled with the vast resources of a major financial institution. Hi, Neil. How are you today? Well, I always love President's Day uh, because I get off from work. Uh, the only problem is I've been retired for 25 years, so I'm not sure how I should behave. But um, it's still President's Day, and I think that's good. Well, I'm glad that you're grappling with this, you know, while while the rest of us are actually enjoying the day off. So anyways, we have Robin E. Lander with us, who's the executive director of the Downtown Organization of Santa Barbara. Robin, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. So the first article today is from our favorite writer from the Wall Street Journal, Jason, Jason Swig. Um, and um this is a really interesting article because, well, let me just begin by saying how he begins. Um, there are, since last July, six asset managers, including Fidelity, um, that have requested the SEC for permission to create an ETF share class uh, that would be uh, associated with an existing mutual fund. The reason for this is that since the beginning of 2014, investors have withdrawn a net of $1.9 from the uh, old stock mutual funds, while they've invested $2.9 in ETFs. And there are some reasons for that. Uh, one of the reasons is that trading costs are lower. Uh, they can freely be exchanged during the day. They also don't have the uh, negative uh, reality that in a uh, large uh, decline or a rise in the stock market, uh, they don't have to, as in a case of a mutual fund, sell shares uh, and therefore uh, exacerbate the decline or the rise in the stock market. So, um, the problem with this is, while that's all true, uh, it's not what ETFs were invented for by Vanguard. It still is a tracking fund, but not for an index that would be uh, market neutral, but for the very uh, old mutual fund that uh, hasn't done that well, and that's why people have withdrawn money from it. So what you have here is uh, a uh, attempt by traditional mutual funds that have high fees to uh, attract people to invest in uh, their old funds with a lower cost fund, but the performance of it's going to be exactly the same as the old mutual fund. You know, but that said, it will be basis points better if the fee is is reduced. Yeah, of course. But you're better off, I think, investing in just the regular ETF where you're market neutral. And because most of these funds have not done as well as the S&P 500 or. Well, that said, though, if you're in that fund and if you can 
you know, parlay those dollars into an ETF, you also don't have the capital gain distribution that traditional mutual funds do. So that's a tax advantage as advantage as well. And the next article is uh, about uh, the fact that America's Americans now own 1.13 trillion oh 1.13 trillion on their credit cards that's a 10% jump from a year ago and um uh the uh interest rate as we know on uh uh credit cards uh are outrageous and um Credit card delinquencies uh, have surged more than 50% in 2023. So while it's too early to tell whether or not um, this is going to be a sign that there is some weakness, particularly in the subprime area, where there is definitely some uh, strain, uh, it is an indication that um, uh, serious delinquencies, as the article ends, are that are 90%, uh, 90 days or more past due have reached the highest level since 2009. Well, I think much of it is because we're now through the pandemic relief funds. And so people are actually having to pay for what, what they get, as well as with inflation, the cost of goods and services have gone up. And so you, you're, we're starting to see those credit cards continue to grow in terms of um, deficit because people have to learn have to realize that they can't spend like they did when they were getting pandemic relief funds in addition to their incomes. The the, the next article is really interesting, and it's about uh, Meta, 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 Meta. Just say Facebook. We all then know what you're talking about. Okay, and it, you know, New Yorkers have a tough time pronouncing anything with an A at the end of the word. You know, made her, made her. <laughs> All right, no, we can't go up. down the list. There are too many. There are too many. So Facebook has uh, joined this. The head, the headline here is Facebook has joined the dividend club, and you know everyone is excited about it, and it's uh, going to. Uh, it, 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 people consider this a, a good sign because it shows they have a, a cash flow, free cash flow that can afford it. But the problem is that it, traditionally. Uh, companies that grow at a very rapid rate don't pay dividends because they uh, are able to earn a return greater than their shareholders. And so the shareholders don't want money back from a company that's growing that rapidly. So if you look at, uh, and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, Zuckerberg um, is uh, the first one to con be concerned about the fact that the dividend is uh, is taxable at full tax rates whereas his capital gain would have been at a lower rate so uh you know if you're an investor and you buy a growth stock you don't really want a dividend necessarily you want them to keep growing so the bottom line here is this could be a sign that they expect growth to slow down from the rapid growth they've seen since inception you know, Facebook or Meta isn't it's it's interesting because they did a bunch of layoffs, mm. then they did a big stock buyback, and now they're doing a dividend. Those things don't usually happen in that order. And so it leaves me scratching my head thinking, are they do they think growth is going to slow? And it, it's just bad for optics for investors in general. That said, the uh, year to date, they certainly have performed quite well. Well, it's interesting. Uh, yesterday, there was some, you know, people writing with their uh, 
great question is uh, CBS in the same press release announced Paramount in the same press release announced that there was record viewership uh, for the Super Bowl and because it went into overtime they made even more money and then they announced they're laying off uh, thousands of people from the company and it's sort of like almost like a schizophrenic press release right it, it's interesting <laughs> how these companies are doing this and it it's doesn't bode well for the future, I would say. The next article is why California homeowners still aren't buying, uh, still aren't buying uh, flood insurance. Uh, less than, this is an interesting, less than 2% of Californians have flood insurance. So the article goes through some of the reasons why that's the case. Uh, one is it's not required. Uh, fire insurance uh, is required uh, for most mortgages. Uh, flood insurance is not. Um, and flood insurance through the federal uh, NFIP is very pricey. Uh, the next reason is that uh, there's a risk perception. Um, the, uh, the, the, the natural disasters that we've seen uh, in the last couple of years, last 10, 15 years, are associated with drought and wildfires so um the uh expectation among so many people most people in california has been hey the last 20 years the only problem we had was a drought why do i need fire insurance and you know a uh, flood insurance and i i don't know how many people don't realize that their basic homeowners policy does not cover flood insurance that said i think it's important to point out that the federal flood insurance only covers you up to $250,000. And so, you know, it's very expensive. I, um, I had a property or I have a property that had flood insurance or needed flood insurance for the mortgage. It, it increased four times and every year it doubled. And for $250,000 policy, you know, you start to get to in the ten dollars to $12,000 range. It just doesn't make sense. You could yeah. save and self-insure for that price. Yeah, but I think that most people aren't that sophisticated. And, you know, they're probably going to make claims whenever they get a flood and they're going to find out that they don't have insurance. And, you know, uh, somebody get hit with a, you know, $50,000, $60,000 claim or a $100,000 claim without insurance is not going to be happy. Anyway, the final article we have today is an interesting article. It just goes through the uh, analysis of how much you need to buy a house these days. And it, 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 in order to buy um, a, a million-dollar house with a 20% down payment, you would need to have an income of $332,000 a year. To buy a house where you put 0% down for um, a million dollars, you would need a, a, an income uh, of um, uh, a four hundred and forty-two thousand dollars, and so you know you look about aff affordability. Uh, in in the old days, you earned you know three hundred and thirty-one thousand or four hundred and forty-two thousand. You think you could buy anything, but today, uh, with interest rates where they are, um, the uh, it, it, it's you can see how for middle class people, the prospect of owning their own home is very bleak. Uh, you're yeah, listening. And, go ahead. Sorry. And additionally, you have home prices across the country, not just in Santa Barbara. The price has escalated so high that, you know, you have somebody making four hundred thousand dollars a year and 
are having a hard time affording a million dollar home and you look around, at least in here, million dollar homes are very difficult to find and oftentimes go over asking. Uh, you're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. We have with us today Robin Elander, who's the Executive Director of the Downtown Organization of Santa Barbara. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much. So let's let's um, talk a little bit about you, Robin. Where are you from originally, and how did you end up here in Santa Barbara and at the downtown organization? I'm originally from Jamestown, New York. So across the state from you, Neil, actually um, is where I grew up. Um, Which is why you can say your A's and your ERs. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in the in California since 2002 to Ventura first, and in Santa Barbara since about 2013. Uh, so it kind of made my way circuitously across the, the country in North Carolina before that. So how did I end up at the downtown organization? Um, I've been doing a number of community initiatives in the area, working with different nonprofits for quite some time that uh, liaise with all kinds of things um, in downtown Santa Barbara. And prior to that, I worked for the city of Ventura in their downtown area. So all things downtown for much of my life, really. And so now, did you go to school or did you, you know, did you dream that this is what you wanted to be as when you were young or how did you come across this line of work and what drew you to it? Really good question. Um, you know, at the time when I was growing up, I didn't really realize that a, a downtown manager or executive director for this type of role really exists. So it wasn't uh, early, early on my radar. But I went to school for parks, recreation, tourism management was my bachelor's degree. And then I went for public policy and administration. And so the combination of those things um, and working a combination in city government and community service and placemaking uh, really made this something that I wanted to create uh, really activated thriving spaces for our community. And so that drew me to to this role. And so how does your role at the downtown organization differ from a community development person at the city specifically? Really good question. So we um, we offer a, a separate nonprofit organization um, that is funded through an existing uh Business Improvement District, which is uh, a fee on business license uh, fees, different from what we're going to talk about, which is a property-based improvement district later. Um, but what we do is support and promote the downtown area. So mainly we're kind of like a marketing agency for, for the downtown and really supporting the business community and putting on numerous different uh, events, promotions, and uh, that type of thing. So, you know, I noticed as I was reading your bio that you started in this role two weeks before the pandemic closed State Street. So what yes. was that like and how did how did you handle that? Because that must have oh been a doozy. Serious, exactly that. I was going to say it really was a doozy. Uh, it was one of these things where 
you know, I was thankful to be part of it. I wanted to support downtown at the time. It was an interim role that I started. And it was really a whirlwind for that first few weeks upon months. And then literally the first two years being in this role in the middle of the pandemic and trying to support businesses navigate the various rules and regulations associated with all of that change. So I'm thankful for the experience to be able to work and support all of these businesses. But it was crazy. It was really crazy. Yes. Well, and it was crazy for everybody, but I can imagine two weeks into your role, it must have felt even even crazier. For so sure. now, you had mentioned that the mission of the downtown organization is to create a thriving space. When was this organization created and how long has it been in, in existence in Santa Barbara? It was created back um, in the late '60s, so it's been involved. It's been uh, an organization that started to support the merchants of the time, who really wanted to have a a funding source to uh, navigate, essentially uh, supporting people continuing to come downtown instead of going to what at the time was everybody going to the suburbs and going to say La Cumbre Mall or other shopping districts. So that was why it started. Um, and so the the group decided to assess itself and to create um, a funding source to be able to promote the downtown district. And now is a piece of your work, um, a part of it is advocacy uh, with the local and state governments, or is it pretty much, you know, your lane marketing? We do more advocacy locally than we do at the state or federal level. Um, At that, the, the... South Coast Chamber of Commerce does a little bit more advocacy at the higher level. We really focus on um, what's happening downtown, city government, and sometimes county, but very much kind of in the the geographical boundaries of the downtown. And what is you? What would you say your relationship with the chamber is? It, it feels like you have very much aligned missions. Um, you're just a, a like a subset almost of the of the chamber. What is your your relationship, and do you often work closely together? Absolutely. So depending on when different local issues come up, we are aligned on how do we how we can support um, different local businesses. Sometimes we're advocating for the same thing or supporting. Uh, one thing or another in a different way. Um, but we're, particularly, we've been aligned working on the this uh, Community Benefit Improvement District initiative, and that's the biggest project that we've been working on collaboratively over the last uh, year and a half or so. Great. And so, you know, tell us a little bit about the Community Benefit Improvement District. Yeah, so it really stems on the fact that we want to revitalize and create enhanced services for downtown. So as I mentioned earlier, the existing business improvement district has been operating for more than 50 years and um, only brings in about $250,000 a year. Um, And so that really does not bring in enough funds to be able to provide high quality services in the way that a community of our size and scale and preferences really wants to see. Um, and so what this uh, new district would be is um, property owners have come together over the last year and have uh, created an initiative. These are common in other cities and uh, states across the nation. There's about um, more than a thousand of these community benefit improvement districts and property owners come together and agree to 
uh, self-assess themselves, essentially tax themselves. And what the group is trying to do is create new services in the for uh, private security, um, homeless services, as well as cleaning and maintenance, branding and placemaking activities over and above the existing services that the city currently provides. And so this would be to the tune of about $2 million per year to be able to elevate those needed services that currently just don't exist at the level at which we, we need them. So that's what this uh, process is all about. Would they have a staff or would you take that role? Would you be running it? Your, your group would be running it. Really good question. So this is going to be a new organization, a new um, nonprofit organization, but our group is going to morph into that. So it's not going to be duplicative services, whether um, how that's going to work in terms of the staffing. I uh, intend and hope for it to be me, but there's going to be a new board. And so they're going to be uh, choosing uh, the staff associated with that. So um, I'm going to help shepherd that in. And if they want to keep me, they will choose to at that time. And so how the financing works is you have $2 million that will be assessed from the real estate owners of the district. And then that would be coupled with about the $250,000 from the business license. Um, you know, we'll call it a tax that goes to the organization to begin, you know, before this community benefit improvement district is approved or not. Actually, this would replace the existing $250,000 so that we expect uh, property owners to pass through some of those costs to businesses. And so we're not intending this to be sort of a double dip. Um, and so property owners will, in some cases, uh, choose to pay all of that. In other cases, be uh, depending on their lease agreement with their tenant, they may be paying some of those fees. So we've decided that that makes more sense to let that other uh, business improvement district go because it's a an older model and this uh, new version is a, a more proven uh, uh, legal system to be able to support the district. So then basically for the buildings like the Balboa building, for instance, that they rent out office space within it, those businesses that get their licenses, their downtown organization fee would be waived, basically, because it would be pushed to the owner of the building. And therefore, it depends on whatever their lease arrangement is. That is correct. But that particular owner um, has already self-selected that he is going to pay that himself. And so he's not planning to pass through those fees to his uh, tenants at this time or for the foreseeable future. So it really is dependent based on the property owner and their relationship with uh, their tenants and what they want to do. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. So what happens if you have a vote? And, I, and one part of this question is what percentage of the whole of the uh, 
landlords have to vote positive to put this into effect. But what happens with um, the others, the ones who vote no? Uh, there's no uh, government authority here to say you all have to pay. So uh, is there is it a guarantee to get the whole two million if it's approved? So what are the rules of engagement here? Really good question. So this is a multi-step process. And the first part of the legal process to enact a um, special assessment district is essentially what this is called, is to, to have 30% um, of the property owners in the district assign a petition that they would like this to go forward. If that is garnered, and that right now is in the process of being garnered, um, we would take this on to city council and they would do a resolution of intent to create a formal balloting process. That's when uh, we would send out to all of the property owners in the district. Um, they've already received on this petition, know exactly what the fee is for their particular property. Um, so they've seen that. And if they're signing the petition to support that, they would know what that is. Then the next step is the balloting process. So then after that, 51% of the ballot would need to come back affirmative to enact this district. Um, and so at that point, the ballots would be counted. And then ultimately, if that's the case, it would uh, go for go forward to enact the district. So I know the I think I know the answer to this. Uh, and I have an opinion about it. But what if you're a naysayer, you own a building and you say, look, I pay a lot of taxes. This is something the government should be doing. You know, yes, the, there are problems with the homeless and there are some security problems, but I already pay taxes. And why isn't the city taking care of it? You know, it's a really good question. So the city um, currently puts in about $2 million of services to the downtown and they do um, you know, everybody's got their opinion about how well of a job they do. But this essentially would allow for additional services over and above what they currently do, because the general public and the property owners and the businesses really do not feel like it's sufficient. Um, it doesn't currently uh, offer services on any of the side streets, so um, or Chapala uh, or Anacapa Street. And so this special assessment district gives the business community the ability to have their own voice and direct services in the way that they want to direct services. That's the real difference and the game changer here. And the difference also is that um, service contracts are not only able to go just on the sidewalks, but they're also to go um, in front of alcoves of businesses and in paseos and et cetera. So the entirety of the district is cleaned and maintained and served in a very different way than it is right now. The city's maintenance contracts are only allowed to stay on public property. And so these are commonplace in other communities. And that's how you get that nice combination of service level throughout the entire district. And that's what we're really missing. Now, let's talk about the geographical region of this district. It encompasses State Street, but how far up? And then I also was reading that it also encompasses the Funk Zone. 
Uh, good question. So the proposed district originally uh, encompassed the funk zone, um, but we are, the group has decided to proceed at this point. We're only looking to pursue um, what is generally tr traditionally called more of the downtown core area. And so the space is from uh, Sola Street to the 101 freeway and Chapala to Anacapa Street. So it's very similar, a slightly larger than the existing business improvement district. But we want to start at that, that space because we want to be able to um, successfully deliver services in this smaller area. And then shall the function want to add um, and become part of the district later, they can do so after a five-year period if this is enacted. And so now tell us about the timeline here. So we have um, a petition circulating. Is Have you gotten the petition to the numbers that you needed at this point? Or where are we on, on the timeline? No, not quite yet. So we're right at the kind of push to the end of the deadline to get the petitions. So February 28th is the petition deadline for uh, property owners to sign uh, that and help us get the numbers to go forward. Uh, we do have on February 21st, um, so this Wednesday, we have a, um, a community outreach meeting, an informational meeting um, at the CEC Environmental Hub at 1219 State Street from 530 to 730, where people can learn about this and um, also uh, get and sign uh, their petition and ask questions of the steering committee and the people who are behind it. So we are at the point where we have been working to reach as many property owners as we can over the past year. Petitions have been out since uh, July of last year, and now is the time to kind of finalize those and uh, endeavor to get to 25% with those. And then the city and the county have also are paying into the district or they own property and they would um, be able to help us get to the 30 plus percent uh, beyond the 25% of existing property owners that are private. So now how does that work in terms of the voting? So I'm a property owner. I hear rumblings of this. I, you know, you haven't caught my attention enough to actually understand what's going on. If I don't vote, am I part, am I considered the naysayer? Like, you know, am I considered, is a no, is a no, no vote at all considered a no vote or are they not counted? Not right now. Uh, in the petition phase, um, we are looking for as many people to pay attention and, uh, vote affirmatively to at least explore this process further. So right now, we're kind of trying to make sure that enough people are uh, interested in it. The, the balloting phase is when um, your vote either way is um, has a larger weight. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by Arlington Financial Advisors, a leading wealth management firm. 
founded on providing thoughtful, objective, and comprehensive financial guidance for families and entities who are seeking long-term financial confidence. If you're just joining us, we have Robin E. Lander on from the Downtown Organization of Santa Barbara, and we're discussing the Business Improvement District that is, uh, that's in the first phase, which is the, um, the not, I, I'm balloting in my head, but the petition phase. And if you're interested in learning more about it as a business owner, you're having a meeting on at 1219 State Street on the 22nd of February. Is that correct? 21st. So Wednesday, 21st. the 21st of February from 530 to 730 at the Environmental Hub, uh, 1219 State Street. So what, percent, what percentage of, of owners are out of towners? I mean, I've, I've heard that one of the problems with downtown is that there are owners that are absentee and don't have this, whatever reason, that kind of interest that locals do. Are, are they going to be talked to? I mean, if someone lives in New Jersey, they're not going to come to this meeting. Really good question, but we are trying to reach out to everyone. So people have gotten mailings, uh, they have uh, been emailed, they've been called, or they are about to be. Um, so we have been working to get um, in touch with everybody. And in terms of the amount of people who are out of town, it's really actually not that many. There are, um, I'd say less than 10% of the um, about 550 different uh, property owners downtown are from out of the area. And if they are still out of the area, they still have various ties to the area, whether it's their family or that type of thing. Um, so it's very infrequent that they are completely removed uh, from the area. Um, whether they're paying attention and they're actively engaged, that's the other question. It's not so much that they might not live here, but they may not uh, actively be part of the community process. So let's assume uh, at the end of this month, the petition phase, you you get enough signatures to want to move forward. What are the next steps and, and how does that work? And then a, a secondary question would be, is there a prescribed timeline as we aren't the first city to enact a community benefit improvement district? Is that something that's prescribed by law of how much time you have in each phase? Uh, yes. There's there's some prescribed by law, but there's also some um, leniency in terms or not leniency, but um, options for the local community as to how uh, fast that they want to go. Um, and so we have taken this at a speed so far that has been flexible for our community. But the next phase um, is that we would, as I mentioned, take it to city council and to the county um, to get their signature on the petition to also go forward. So that's a community process from there. Um, and that would expect to be taken place next month. Month, so March. From there, um, the ballot would go out and that would take place over the next approximately two months after that. So um, April, May timeframe. Um, approximately by the end of May or early June, we would take, we would be getting all of those ballots uh, back. And then a, a public hearing would be held at city council to count those ballots. At that point, um, you need to, by law, wait a month to um, essentially uh, allow that to, the 
to just have that period 30 days after the ballot is counted. And then from there, the process gets started of um, building all of the structures associated with the district. And um, when folks get their uh, tax, county tax bill, property tax bill, it would be put on to that as an additional line item with that. And eventually um, towards the end of the year, um, everything would be set up. So a new nonprofit organization with all of the details, um, this, the services would be implemented in early 2025. So that's the timeframe that we're um, attempting to work with. That would be the earliest we would be able to begin to deliver services. But you know what's interesting? Your it looks like from your website that the majority of your board members are are tenants, not owners. So in a sense, that you're going to the tenants are going to give up tenants who have you know the most direct um, knowledge and and have the most effect of the homeless problem or whatever are are, are going to lose control. The the control of this group is going to be at least if money is what controls it, the owners. Well, it's a really good question and uh, has been thought about a lot in terms of the way forward with this. And so 51 per in this new format, 51 percent are required by law in a community benefit improvement district because it's property based to be board members. The remaining uh, board members can still be business owners. And so we would still have quite a large number of business owners and other community stakeholders. So you would currently we have um, quite a number of property owners on our board, but you're right in that there's more uh, business owners. So in this case, it would be closer to 50-50 arrangement to have both property and business owners uh, in the further, in the new configuration. And that really is helpful because property owners create long-term change with their investments. Business owners do change, but they have the direct relationship with kind of at the street level. And so the combination there really has good potential to work well together. And so what would you say are the major issues of the holdouts or the people who are not yet supportive of this as the business owners? What are their issues? Well, that's a really good question. I think, you know, nobody ever wants a new tax or fee. That's just the first thing that people have to realize that this is like, oh, geez, okay, what is this all about? So from then, it takes a lot of time to learn about all of the different aspects about this and how this would work and to really understand um, the different nuances of why this makes sense. And so it does take quite a bit of um, understanding. Um, sometimes one of the aspects of people's uh, say holdouts or not sure about it is that they currently provide a lot of services in their properties uh, that they want to, that this would be duplicative. Ultimately, this could be a trade-out situation where the district services could instead provide their private security or maintenance, and then they would no longer have to pay for the other. So that's one way to look at it. Um, and those are some of the key nuances. The other thing is that sometimes people feel like, well, how is this going to work and why is the city not doing this? So we talked about that question earlier, and that's um, one of the key things that people kind of need to realize that when business owners have 
the ability to direct services, there's a more of a nimbleness that can take place because if you see an issue on the street, you're going to be able to take care of it much faster than say, you know, asking a request to a, a city government service provider. It's just a different situation. You know, the homeless problem, the homeless problem seems to be insolvable uh, all over the country. So, uh, you know, it's a two part question. How do you have a plan, no matter how much money you have to deal with a homeless? And and two, um, do you have uh, liability protection and authority to move people? So you hire a private service and there's uh, someone, you know, sitting or lying down in front of your store and you want to move him. Can you get into trouble for, because you're not a police force? Well, all really good questions. So these these are all things that need to be thought about very, very carefully. And so here are some of the aspects that we'll be navigating with that. So we do have a plan. Um, the combination of the following services really helps to make the whole situation work better in terms of uh, homeless issues. And so uh, one uh, thing that just occurred and that folks may have heard about is that the city has decided to initiate a daytime navigation center downtown where homeless individuals can go during the day um, instead of being on the streets of downtown. And so that is helpful. The other aspect of this that's critical, as I mentioned before, in terms of cleaning uh, the different alcoves and supportive services. So current services are only able to really go on private, or I'm sorry, public pro property. Cleaning services as well as uh, homeless case managers, as well as private security can go on private property as well as the private, this is this takes some nuance to explain, but the private security would only stay on the private property. They can't roam around downtown. That's the public realm where is the realm of the police department. Um, but essentially because there would be cleaning services every day and private security, it's gonna change the dynamic in which uh, the current uh, services are provided. And so um, without being able to go into all of the details, that's kind of how some of those uh, elements would work. And uh, we have been liaising with a lot of other communities that currently do this. There's over a thousand of them. And so there are a lot of nuances to it. And it has to do with public and private property and also having places for people to be able to go. You're listening to Money Talk on AM 1290 and FM 96.9, and we'll be right back with our final segment. Welcome back to Money Talk, brought to you by American Riviera Bank, making your life easier with cutting-edge technology, mobile deposits, free use of every ATM machine in the country, and a level of service other banks can only dream about. And Robin, so as if this Community Benefit Improvement District passes, how much of a say would you have in the reimagining of State Street and the downtown corridor? Because they do seem to go hand in hand. 
This really would give the business community a unified voice as well as uh, funds to be able to deploy services in the, the way that they want to see it. And so um, while this is not really about capital improvement projects, this is about maintenance on a regular basis. But this group would also be able to really have an influence on the future of you know, elements that are underway, such as the downtown master planning process that's that's happening and other big developments that are happening. So this is really kind of one of those things that just has to be enacted in a community for ongoing uh, placemaking and uh, service provide, uh, pr provision that just if it's not there, there's not sufficient resources for a downtown community to tick. So we really want people to be able to come to our upcoming community information meeting. Um, again, it's at the uh, community, community Environmental Council on Wednesday, the 21st from 5.30 to 7.30 at uh, 1219 State Street. And uh, folks should make sure that they get a petition and learn about this specific community benefit improvement district and how it can enhance critically needed services for our downtown and really revitalize our downtown for you know, not only uh, the business community, but for our residents and visitors. Yes, it, it sounds like it's very interesting. And, um, you know, is anyone available to go or do you have to the, the information meetings or do you have to be a business, a real estate owner in the district? It's well, uh, everyone's welcome. So community members, um, residents, uh, it's free to attend. Everybody can come learn about it. And that is the purpose for our entire community to really understand what we're trying to do, how we're trying to collectively lift up downtown. But ultimately, property owners are the ones that need to sign the petition because they they are the payers into the system and they need to make that decision to invest into the district. I, you know, we're running out of time, but I, I can't uh, not ask about one of the most uh, contentious issues, and that is outdoor dining. Uh, you, of course you want to ask me about a contentious yeah. issue, Neil, right? Right. right. We have 10 so, seconds left, left Robin. Right. So what, so what, is there going to be a position that... Um, because there's a conflict, you know, they're the owners that have dining and the owners that don't have dining. By the way, I want you to know that you've been saved because we've run out of time. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for that. Saved okay. Thank you. And, and thank you, Robin. Thank you for being here. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Money Talk and we'll see you all next week.